Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss, this course will walk you through all the steps. From the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. All right, enjoy the episode and looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs, as therapreneurs. Let's go. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. Hi, Teresa, and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. I am so glad you're here. If you want to take a moment just to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your experiences and your education, I know the audience would love to learn more. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. First of all, I love being here and sharing space with you. I appreciate it so much. Uh, So I'm Teresa, and um, my background is really in all kinds of sorts of stuff. So I went to UCSB for sociology and, um, I got a double minor, minor in, um, education and women's studies. So I love sort of everything like women, families, people. Uh, and then I, I've worked with in, in nonprofits for a really long time. And I felt like I wasn't, you know, being as effective as, uh, nonprofit mentor, um, program leader. So I felt like maybe I need to support these families and children, um, by being a therapist and supporting them through some of the traumatic events that I was seeing them go through. Um, even if it wasn't necessarily those families, but just, you know, the, the families that I was working with in general. So I went to Antioch to get my degree in psychology and, um, 
And then once I was doing my hours, decided I didn't want to be a therapist. So, and I can tell you all about that. Um, but I was, I was born in Mexico in Guanajuato, Mexico. And, um, I moved to Palm Springs when I was two years old. So I've lived here all my life. Um, and then I ended up in this area because I went to UCSB. So that's kind of how, how that happened. And once I met my husband who grew up in this area, we decided to just stay here in town. And now we're raising our two little ones, our four and our one-year-olds, um, in Carpinteria and, and I'm leading the Carpinteria Children's Project. So, but a lot has happened in between there. So I'm happy to chat. Oh my gosh. So many fun things. I feel like this is so relatable in so many different ways. And I can't wait to ask more questions and to learn more about your story because, um, I mean, our audience is going to be people that are pre-licensed. Some people are licensed. Some people are in agency work. Some people are in private practice and really having those questions and seeing the way that their impact is showing up in the therapy room and maybe also, reflecting on their skill sets and like what they want their goals and their career to look like and maybe changing direction. So I'm really curious to learn more about your grad school experiences and even just that piece Mm -hmm. of, you know, being in a grad school program to become a therapist and somewhere in that journey, realizing that you wanted to change courses and still use your experiences, but maybe in a different capacity. Uh, So do you mind kind of just like going back there first and then we can kind of build from there? So you were in a graduate program at Antioch University, which for the listeners, I also Mm -hmm. went to that grad school program, a different year. Um, And walk me through kind of what was going on in your life at that time, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. And, um, you know, what was the program like for you? And just walk us back into that, that time in your life. Yeah. So, uh, like I was mentioning, you know, I just felt like I could do more. And so I thought I've always had an interest in psychology. I've always found, you know, the mind and the way we work and, people just really interesting. So I looked into a lot of different programs and landed on Antioch for a variety of different reasons. Um, and it was so different than UCSB. So UCSB is so research-based and Antioch, when I got there, you know, the cohorts were really small at UCSB. There were large classroom sizes. Um, So that was really nice because you were able to form relationships with your colleagues right away. And we were all sharing such personal you know, information about one another. Um, so I really enjoyed the like small class size and I quickly realized it felt like I was in therapy every day already. Like so much of what I was finding out was about myself and unpacking a lot of the things that I had, you know, sort of set aside and never had touched before. So, um, I think all of that, that whole process was great. Um, and you know, also, you know, heavy at times, like you start having conversations and hear from others. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, that is also happening in my family, or that's also what I'm feeling. Um, or those are what relationships that I've had in the past look like. So, um, you know, that experience was, was great. And it taught me a lot. Um, and it wasn't until we started having to, uh, you know, find our, um, our sites that, you know, I started thinking like, is this something that I want to do in the future? So the first site that I was placed at was Domestic Violence Solutions, a nonprofit here in town, um, where I was working with shelter, um, uh, women in shelter. So that was difficult for a number of different reasons because, um, one, there's never any closure. So I would talk with, you know, one of the clients one day and then, 
you know, see her the following week. And then the following week she might be gone. And so it was, you know, we felt like we were okay starting to build a relationship and then, you know, I never got to see them again. So Mm -hmm. that was hard, um, in that sense. And then, um, and I was doing it in Spanish. So I think finding just the words to do therapy in Spanish, um, you know, is a challenge and I, I I learned a lot. Uh, but then I also had a lot of, um, you know, the hardship in my life at that point in time, while I was trying to help, you know, the women in shelter, I was also going through a really difficult relationship myself. So Mm -hmm. I realized that a lot of that advice I could be taking, you know, myself and, and working with domestic violence, um, you know, survivors really, I felt like a lot of what we think is physical abuse, um, you know, the bruises that you may see or the black eyes. And, you know, I quickly realized like so much of it could be emotional. It could be financial. And that's what I was, that's when I realized like, wow, I'm, I'm in a not great relationship as, as well. So, um, anyway, I think that I quickly sort of figured out, like, I don't know that I could bring this home all the time. Um, I want to be a mom, you know, I want to get married one day and how am I going to bring, you know, all of these stories that I'm hearing, um, you know, back home with me. And so I think after that, I just thought maybe I could be helpful in, in different ways. So, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, Teresa, I really appreciate you, you sharing that process and sharing just even the human piece of like, sometimes I think when we do a program or as a therapist, we sometimes just hold on to that title and that role, but we kind of neglect sometimes like, no, we are a human first and a therapist second, or you are a human Mm -hmm. first and a grad student second. And I love how you highlight the parallel Mm -hmm. process as I felt that in grad school too, of like, as much as you're learning clinical skills, as much as you're learning, you know, what it takes to, to treat and diagnose and all of that, it is such a personal process. I feel like the way we grow through grad school specifically to become a therapist you know, that is the deeper work is just like the reflection in ourself, right. Of you're writing these papers, mm-hmm. you're looking at your life, you're starting to treat clients and you're starting to see like almost like a mirror reflection in this parallel process of right. healing. Of like just as much as I'm supporting mm-hmm. you, like you're also highlighting some of the things in my life and I go home and not just think right. about you, but I think about, you know, wow, we're kind of in similar shoes or like it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. ironic sometimes when you have clients like that, where you're like, wow, you're processing your dynamic with your parent and I am too, or whatever it could be, whether yeah. it's big or small. And, um, yeah, I, I really just applaud your, um, your vulnerability and you even just sharing that today on the podcast of like, you know, recognizing that you were in a really hard situation and, um, yeah. maybe having the courage to, to leave that or also to, to reimagine what you were doing, which was grad school and what that goal could be. Right. Um, yeah. do you mind kind of sharing a little bit about, cause I imagine like, I don't know what your cohort was like in terms of, did other people also choose that path or how was that received or what was that thought process where you, you know, had this idea that you were going to be licensed and that you're going to pursue that and you still finished your degree, but you chose not to pursue the licensure piece. So can you walk us through like, cause I imagine that was a hard decision, Yeah. You know, it wasn't until we sort of, you know, it was getting towards the end of the program and some of us were deciding, you know, what was going to happen next. And a few people were going to pursue their PsyDs and were going to stay at ENIAC. Others were going to, um, they had found a job that they were going to go to afterward. Um, And then there were a couple of us, maybe 
five from the cohort. And I can't remember if it was 12 or 17 of us in the cohort, but, um, you know, that had decided that we weren't going to become licensed therapists. And, um, a few people, it was because they had already found a job that they loved and they just realized I don't need to, you know, go through the 1300 hours that you need to become a therapist to get this dream job that they had found. So, um, that happened for some people. And for me, I just felt like, I feel like I can help in other ways. And maybe, um, I had always had an interest in leadership as well. So I thought, well, I'll go back into nonprofit work. Um, and, maybe become a director of some sort. Um, the executive director piece didn't come into play until a little later, but, uh, you know, I just felt like I already know nonprofits and I think that I could go back and work, you know, with the DV shelter, but maybe in a different way, um, or doing some of like the preventative side of things, um, is kind of where I finally made the decision. Like maybe we can start, you know, making some change before it ever gets to this point, um, as much as we can. So that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine too, like, it's incredible to be a therapist and to like help heal things from the past, but the kind of skill set and some of the passions that you're speaking into around nonprofit work and maybe using your skill set in a different way, it really speaks to the preventative piece and also like the hopeful piece, right? Cause you might be reaching mm-hmm. people before certain things happen or giving them psychoeducation mm-hmm. and still giving them some therapeutic tools, but maybe in a different capacity yeah. or reaching some of their basic and practical needs. So that helps them to be in a different, you know, heart and headspace to overcome things. So uh, yeah, that's right. really cool. And it sounds like your experience wasn't just you. That probably was comforting to have a couple other colleagues in your cohort that were also kind of reminding you like, Hey, it's is not the only path. Cause I think sometimes yeah. uh, at least my experience, I've been with a lot of therapists or colleagues that are therapists and it seems like there's kind of this trajectory. So to have other people that are also willing to kind of create their own path and really lean into their passions mm-hmm. and pursue those in a different way is awesome. Yeah. And I think it might have been different if I were the only one who was kind of thinking that way, I probably would have just stayed like, okay, maybe I can do this, you know, and I would have probably gone back on my decision. I don't know. Um, but I think that it was also helpful in just imagining that there were other possibilities and like one of the girls in my cohort, um, you know, became a Pilates instructor and that's what she's doing now and loves it. And so I get that was really, you know, that was really different. She's not using it like she thought she would either. So, um, you know, the degrees. So anyway, I mean, I think that it all, it all just happens for a reason. I I strongly believe that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, is there any advice maybe that you would give any listeners? So say someone's in their program right now and it's not feeling quite like the right fit, but they've already committed and they've already begun the process, or maybe they're kind of burnt out. Maybe they're already licensed. Maybe they've been in agency work or private practice and it's not feeling like the right fit anymore. Any advice you'd give to someone that's making a decision like that, or maybe questioning, you know, if it's, maybe it's not the right thing in this season anymore. Maybe it was a previous season or maybe it's okay to change their mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I'm still even learning now is what are the things that bring me joy? Um, so that's one part of it is just how, like, what else makes me happy? And I loved, um, you know, working directly with the families. I loved working with, um, you know, children, with youth. That's sort of where I found my passion lied. Um, and then I also, I think would just 
you know, give the advice that like, you can change your mind. First of all, it's okay. Right. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to sort of say like, I already said that I was going to do this. So I have to follow through with it. And that's a little bit of what I felt like. I already told everybody I was going to be a therapist. Like, how am I going to change my mind now? Um, but you know, I just, I think also, especially with psychology, I mean, we work with people all the time and you're going to use what you're learning, even if it's just to make you a better person because you're understanding who you are. Um, that's going to be helpful in any job that you take or in any career path, um, whether you're leading a Pilates class or, you know, you're running a nonprofit. So, um, you know, I think that, and I've, I've found that a lot of what I've learned has just really helped in me having better relationships with not only my colleagues, my staff, um, but just, you know, community partners um, and having more empathy towards our clients. I think that in being sort of like social services, you sort of become, you know, a little cynical after a while. And a lot of that can have to, you know, it has to do with just the system, like, right, the system's so broken. And that's a conversation for another day. But yeah. um you know, I think that because <laughs> there's so much to unpack in that, but, um, you know, I think it just, it helps me have more empathy hmm. and also to be able to pass that along to the rest of our staff and just saying like, remember you try to put yourself in, in some of our clients shoes. And, um, so anyway, I found that it was really helpful in that way. So yeah, I think, yeah, yeah listen, listen to yourself and, um, trust your gut. I think mm, I love that. Yeah. That's really encouraging, especially if, yeah, if it's starting to not align with you or you're, you know, curious what else is out there. Um, I wonder if you could maybe share a little bit as we transition into like your nonprofit experience, you know, now, and maybe some of the steps that you took to get there. So, um, I know now you're an executive director, so I don't know if you want to start there or if you want to start with maybe some of the, yeah. the, the blocks that kind of built the path for you in terms of, um, your leadership skills and, um, really moving forward after you got your master's, like what that looked like and how your path kind of evolved. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've always had a passion for helping people, um, ever since like high school. I mean, I did a lot of community service and, um, and back then it wasn't like a requirement. It wasn't mandatory. And I just kind of did it because, my, the group that I was in did it. It was, um, anyway, so I got involved in a lot of different things. And one of the things that I started doing was tutoring at the boys and girls club. So that was my first experience with nonprofit work. And after that, when I went off to college, um, I joined a sorority and the sorority had a philanthropy chair and I became the philanthropy chair and I bring, um, about 50 youth from low-income high schools to UCSB and put like a whole, just like couple days of, you know, what the, the college experience is like for them. So, um, sleeping in the dorms, dining in the commons. And I love doing that work. Um, and the giving back to my community, I think has always been huge. So I knew that I wanted to do something in, in that space. So after college, um, was right around the time that recession hit by the time that I was graduating. So there weren't a lot of jobs. Um, you know, the pay wasn't great, but I was lucky to find, um, a job at CADA here in town, um, on the, the council on alcoholism and drug abuse. And I was working in the fighting back mentor program. Um, and I loved doing that work as well. And so I did that for a while. Um, and then after that sort of moved in like a parallel way. So I became a, a 
mentor director at Big Brothers Big Sisters back home um, because it just got too expensive to live in Santa Barbara at the time. So I moved back home to Palm Springs where it was a little cheaper. So I stayed out there. And that's sort of when I decided, you know, maybe I want to, I knew, I always knew I wanted to pursue a master's degree. I just didn't know in what. Um, and so after working with the children, like I was mentioning in their families, you know, I thought psychology would be a great fit. So, um, I went through, through grad school and did, um, did that. And of course, all of my sites, my work was in, um, nonprofit places. Right. So, um, sort of stayed nonprofit through that. And then afterward, um, I worked at a couple of different nonprofits and slowly was starting to make my way up. So it was, you know, like a coordinator position now. Um, and then when I came to the Carpenter Children's Project, I came on as like a director supervisor of a family resource center. So now I had a little team and it was really my first time supervising staff. Yeah. Um, and I just knew I wanted to be like the best leader I could be. So, um, being the person that I am, I looked up, you know, just different like leadership training institutes or leadership classes. Um, and I found leading from within a nonprofit in town and I applied to their emerging leaders program. So I did that. And I think that that was life-changing for my career. I didn't, I not only, you know, met a, a lot of different colleagues from, um, a lot of different sectors, but also just, you know, got to talk to them about what their leadership experience has been like. Um, and I think it was then that I decided I wanted to be an executive director. And so again, being the person that I am, I was like, I want to be an executive director before I turn 30. Cause I just <laughs> always like set my goals. And so, so an opportunity came up and I felt I loved what I was doing and I loved that I was working with families. Um, and again, using a lot of what I had learned in grad school, I was doing case management with clients. And so really trying to not cross that boundary where I was like giving, you know, providing therapy, but just listening and, um, you know, just being there for the clients. So that was difficult because I definitely wanted to go a little deeper with them. Um, but, you know, at that point was like referring out to other places. Okay. But anyway, an opportunity came up and I, I took it. I applied um, and I was offered the job to be executive director of a small nonprofit. Oh um, yeah. So I did that. It was really scary. Um, yeah. And of course, I was questioning myself the whole entire time. Like, I don't have the experience to do it. I'm young. No one's going to take me seriously. Um and then I also was getting married and becoming a mom at that same time. So for the wow. first time. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a lot all at once. Um, and that nonprofit, you know, I was really, I went in as, you know, most new people with fresh eyes do and was hoping I was going to solve all of its problems. Um, and unfortunately, financially, it just wasn't in a good place. And so after a year and a half or so, a little after a year and a half, um, we just came to the decision that we had to close down mm. the nonprofit. And so, um, yeah, that was really hard. And I had to, you know, place the staff, place the students. We were able to do all of that with a two-week turnaround. So, wow. um, yeah. Talk and after that. Uh, and challenges to work through yeah. and to, like, that is like. On yeah. And then that is like one of the harder things I imagine as a leader you'd have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely was. Um, and I think that, 
you know, I took that a lot harder than I thought I would. So I, you know, I felt like a failure, like I had failed, you know, all of my staff, the board or donors. Um, so I think that that, you know, like mentally and emotionally had just a really large toll on me. Um, and even like my self-esteem, I think I was really sort of like finding my own, um, as a leader. And then this happened and kind of rocked my world. So, there were actually a couple of openings for executive director positions here in town after that was closing. Um, but I got a call from, you know, my former boss at the Carpenter Children's Project. And she said, I got a large grant and, um, I need an associate director. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was right as my other nonprofit was closing. So, um, I took the job and two years after, I was having my second child and she decided she was going to leave because she had been here for a while too. Um, and so I decided I, I wanted to throw my name in the hat for executive director. And so here I am now. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I, I really just really appreciate you and like how you're sharing because I think some people, when they talk about their career path, they kind of like don't always highlight some of, not that it was a failure that the other nonprofit closed, but like you could have just, you know, walked over that conversation and just said like, oh, it just, I ended up transitioning to a different place. But like the fact that you can even speak into some of those pieces of like, this is what was required as the executive. And this is the challenges I had to, you know, transition people. I had to, you know, do this quick turnaround. I had to disappoint people. I had to disappoint myself. I had to wrestle with the mental load of, it's not just a title that you hold, but there's actually some really hard decisions and really important decisions to make. Um, so I really appreciate you even just being really honest about that piece of the experience, but also, um, yeah, just love kind of the full, um, turnaround that happened for you too, in terms of like, now it seems like you're in a really good, um, nonprofit that you just love and adore and that you are now an executive for as well. And you know how, you know, you still put yourself out there, even though you had maybe this roadblock or maybe, um, had this unexpected challenge that you had to overcome. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you didn't give up, which I think some people in those situations would, maybe they would take it too personal, or maybe they would, you know, say, Oh, it must be a reflection of me, or it must be, um, you know, just a roadblock. And so I, I love that you have this confidence, like even like go circling back to what you were saying earlier, like you have this innate belief. It feels like in yourself, like how you had that goal of like, I want to be an executive director before I'm 30. And then you're also listening like, and I got married and I had a kid and then I had another kid. And then it's like, wow, you have like this grit and this resilience of, you know, it sounds like when they talk about it rains at pours, like it sounds like it yeah. had a lot of rain, like you got a lot of things happening, but you still made it and you still embraced it. So I'm just really amazed at hearing some of the, the life milestones that happened along the way as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No. I think that gets lost, you know, like I think we don't remember all of those things and so thank you for saying that. Of course. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious um, if you want to share a little bit, because I'm imagining anyone that's listening might be curious about what it, it takes to be an executive director. And it sounds like your career path 
you kind of wore different hats. You took on different roles, whether it was a coordinator mm-hmm. position, whether it was a, a management position with a smaller team first and kind of building your skill set and your kind of experiences along the way. But what, what advice would you have to someone that wants to be maybe an executive director before they're 30 or in general at some point in their life? Um, what yeah. steps do you think helped kind of groom you or prepare you or make you hireable to even be considered for a role like that? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that you're never, ever fully prepared, right? Like with anything in life, motherhood and, um, you know, just all kinds of things. So, I mean, I think that for me and what I've found is that a lot of my executive director, you know, fellow colleagues, um, we have very different backgrounds, like some, you know, come from marketing and so they can bring that to the table. Others are finance people, which is also important. And they can bring that to the table. They love development. Um, for me, I think my strength is just in being programmed because I came, you know, from, from the very beginning. So I started as like an administrative assistant, um, and then moved my way, you know, through different programs. So I think that I could, I could bring that to the table. Um, that was certainly one of my strengths that I just understood the staff. Like I had been there, I had done the work. So it's a lot easier for me when I'm thinking of like a larger program, like what is that going to mean for the staff? Mm -hmm. Um, and so financially that might make a lot of sense, but you know, am I going to burn out my staff? Uh, Do I have the right staff? Um, you know, and just thinking about actually going through putting programs together and making, making them work. So, um, I think that, you know, if someone's interested in being an executive director, really thinking about being okay with not always being liked, you know, it's like when they say it's lonely at the top, I think that that's certainly true. Um, and I have a great team and I love the staff and, you know, but you're just, you're going to have to make hard decisions and you're going to have to, um, make those confidently. Uh, so I think that a a hard part for me is because I like everybody so much. Um, but at the end of the day, you still have a, a business to run, um, is making those decisions. And I think that my sort of North star is always like the mission of the organization. So what I always tell the staff is I'm doing this, not for me, not for you. I'm doing it for the mission. And mm-hmm. our mission is to serve children and families. And so just know that my heart's always going to come, you know, it's going to be there. It's going to come from that place. Um, you know, just sort of reminding them all the time about that. Um, So I think, yeah, making those decisions. And then I think also, you know, if you're a parent, like balancing the workload, because it is a lot and you're kind of on call 24 seven, um, if anything goes wrong, I mean, you're the first one to get called, um, you know, on holidays at night, early in the morning. So I think, you know, having boundaries also, um, is really important. And so I do, you know, I'm building out your team. I was just having this conversation with another colleague yesterday, just like hiring the right people and having your team, um, that will support you. You can sort of help you lighten the load because uh, it is a lot. Um, and I think just also being open to just learning from everyone and about everything. Um, and then just also understanding, and I'm learning this, uh, 
that you're not going to be great at everything. So finances might not be my strong suit, but I'm going to find the people that can help me make sure that that's being taken care of. Or HR might not be someone I have a background in, um, something I have a background in, but, you know, I'm going to hire someone who's great at HR um, or early childhood education or social services or whatever. It's really just that you that your success really depends on the team. So Mm, I love that. And I think that's a good reminder too, because I think it's easy. Sometimes there's like so many different ways to be a leader or leadership models. But I think sometimes as leaders, you, we can take on too much because we want it to go well. Or we think that maybe that gives us more control over a situation. But when you admit like that humanness about yourself of like, you know, finances are not my strength. Um, and so like thinking about like, you probably would save your company would save more time and money if you contracted someone out than if you were spending time and maybe you didn't do it in a way that felt congruent to the work you wanted to present, or maybe Mm -hmm. it takes you too long and your time would be better spent doing X, Y, and Z because your skill set's stronger in those areas. I think that is a huge sign of a great leader. If you can recognize where your limitations are and when to include other people or when other people's voices or skill sets are important to, to highlight, um, cause it makes your yeah. team stronger. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of thinking back to some of the stuff you were sharing too, about your trajectory and your path, it sounds like you also did a lot of decision-making for your future self, like how you talked about, you know, mm-hmm. finding this leadership program that also kind of groomed you and kind of gave you mentors and connections and camaraderie. Um, but also like, I love the fact that you have worked in different roles. Cause I imagine that makes you a really good executive director because you know what it's like to be the admin assistant, you know, what it's like to be a, a coordinator or a different position. And I imagine that mm-hmm. empathy really, um, translates into your, your team feeling supported because you've been in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, and I also would say, you know, sort of to your point, um, and just building your network. I mean, it's so important. And uh, I've, I've through that leadership program, and through just other um, things that I've been a part of, finding those mentors and coaches has made all of the difference. And even just sometimes a group of fellow colleagues that you can go and vent to, you know, sometimes it's just like you having to vent um, with someone who understands it, but isn't necessarily in it, you know, because yeah. you can't do that with, with your staff or um, sometimes with your board or whatever. So I think that that's also just been really important in finding your support system, creating that support system that you, you need to get you through because it's definitely, it's definitely a lot, um, to take on. So, well, I see a lot of parallels too, and kind of like what you're describing similar to anyone that's listening, that is a therapist where you kind of hear that advice sometimes of like, never trust a therapist that doesn't see a therapist, you know, like that piece of like always (laughs) making sure that you're doing the work that you have a space for yourself. And it sounds like some of those models in terms of becoming a therapist align still in being a nonprofit leader and executive director where you're saying it is lonely at the top, you know, you have to make hard decisions. And when you surround yourself with other leaders in the field, maybe they're in different nonprofits or different agencies, but they know what those decisions are like. You have that, um, those other people to kind of lean on. So you're not doing it alone in the same way as a therapist, you know, it can be isolating in private practice or just seeing client after client after client. So the importance of still um, 
admitting that you need help or um, recognizing that you need support or just a team. It's not meant to be done alone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then just to have, you know, along with like the support system, um, you know, sharing with you too, a lot of the colleagues that I've spoken to, you know, they are balancing their home life and are, or are balancing, you know, other passions of theirs with the work that they're doing. And, you know, it's, it's a lot and life can get really crazy and really hectic. And I think that, um, you know, because it, it can feel so isolating and, uh, you want to just do so much good because you know, what's at stake that there's a lot of pressure. And I know that once I started, um, I I think I've always been an anxious person, but it wasn't until, you know, I started in the interim position that, um, I realized just how much that was really impacting my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been in therapy before, yeah. But at that point, I just felt like for in order for me to be a better mom and a better wife mm-hmm. and a better friend and daughter, I just, like you were saying, needed to get support for myself and ask for help. And so mm-hmm. I started seeing a therapist and, um, you know, became open to medication and, you know, have those conversations with colleagues about like, it's okay. And I think especially in the Latino community, like there's so much stigma still around mental health and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been helpful and just talking to one another and saying like, I was feeling like that too. And, um, and I think that there's a larger issue, right? Like we shouldn't all be feeling this way. Like it's a lot of work. So anyway, larger systemic things that need to happen. But, um, you know, I think just understanding that you need to ask for help and, um, you know, if you want to continue moving forward, just, taking a moment and really, um, understanding what your needs are and, and, you know, taking care of those too. So we can take care of others. Uh, you know, it's so important. I really appreciate you just being so real and so honest. And like, I feel like this is like the theme of our conversation, whether it was you <laughs> reflecting on like where you were at in grad school and some of the hard things that you were navigating and some of the challenges, you know, through your career journey to get to where you are, but you speaking into the piece of, you know, even today as an executive director, you still need a therapist. You still need to, you know, lean on medication and other resources that are there and you're breaking the stigma and you are being fearless to kind of create this path and set an example for people that are looking up to you, whether that is, you know, people that are on your staff or whether that's anyone that's listening to this, that's encouraged about, you know, changing their mind or doing something and believing in them in themselves, but also recognizing you're allowed to still be human. You're allowed to still need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and be a great leader and be a great therapist or whatever it is that they're pursuing. Right. So I feel really encouraged mm-hmm. and I feel really lucky that I have you in town mm-hmm. and I feel like we need to hang out more, <laughs> do a beach walk, get coffee, Definitely. you know, like encourage each other because yeah, it's just, yeah. A, it's inspiring to hear more about your story. And I really value that you are opening yourself up today to encourage other people and to, to just share your life. That's like such a valuable thing to have a a glimpse into. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And is there anything I'm going to include in the show notes, um, your nonprofit, but is there anything you want to plug for them just to, if people are just curious to learn more about it, maybe they want to donate or just hear what you're up to, um, like just give a little sneak peek of what, um, yeah, what, what you guys do. 
Sure, absolutely. So we're the Carpenter Children's Project, um, and we have sort of three different components to our nonprofit. So the first is early childhood education. So we have classrooms for little people, um, two to five are little ones, um, and we it's private pay. So you know most clients pay the full cost of childcare, but we do offer scholarships up to 50%. Um, and we also support the families that are in the program through our family resource center, which is also sort of the other branch, um, of the nonprofit. So through the family resource center, they can, um, access parenting classes. Um, we do family strengthening field trips. We have mommy and me yoga, mommy and me swim. Um, we're able to support families who need help, uh, you know, just sort of navigating all of the different systems. So like unemployment or Medi-Cal um, or CalFresh for, you know, for food for their children, um, sometimes immigration. I mean, it's sort of just, you know, support, a support system for, for the families that we're serving, but also for the community in Carpinteria. So we're definitely open um, to everybody. And, uh, but we, we do focus sort of in that zero to five preventative space. Um, and then we also do a lot of work around ACEs, um, adverse childhood experiences and supporting families through their traumatic, traumatic experiences, but letting them know that there's still a lot of hope um, and showing them how they can build the resiliency. So that's a big piece of the work. Um, and then sort of the third piece is, um, we work really co- in collaboration with so many other nonprofits. So we know we can't do it all alone in a silo. And so for that reason, we work really closely with the school district, um, and other nonprofits, um, that support, you know, uh, mental health, um, that support, um, the families through, through like WIC, for example, and county programs, um, Hospice of Santa Barbara has a, a space here. Um, so a lot of different collaborations. So if we can't do it, we are able to link people up to those resources. Um, and we try to do so in a way that they don't have to travel very far. So we try to have everything on site um, and or, you know, via Zoom. But we're, we're happy, happy to help families and children navigate that. Oh my gosh. I feel like what you guys do is so valuable and like in so many different components, right? Like it sounds like you meet very tangible Mm -hmm. needs and the way you're describing it, I feel like I don't know very many other agencies that do it in that capacity, whether it's so preventative in terms of the ages that you're reaching or Mm -hmm. also just like the diversity in terms of what you're offering. Right. It sounds like it's very um, integrated. There's a lot of different offerings there. Awesome. Well, I will plug that in the show notes. Thank you again so, so, so much. And um, it was so wonderful having you on the podcast today. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.